my heart is full. This morning, we come to the parable of the persistent widow. I was reminded by my wife this morning that today is the sixth anniversary of my father's passing. And six years ago on this day in Sun City, Arizona, we gathered around him. We sang hymns, we prayed, And this morning, as I reflect upon my father and his life, he was, for me, the most persistent man I knew. Called of God to be a pastor at the age of 40. Pursued his education through what we in the Church of the Nazarene call the home study course. It's a long and laborious process ordained in the church, pastored churches that many others didn't want to pastor, but he was persistent. People came to know Jesus because he was persistent. He labored well. He labored every day, persistent. And so I give thanks to God today for the life and witness of my father for his persistence. And this morning as we heard the scripture read, we heard the parable of the persistent widow. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. There's a Bible in the pew rack close to you if you don't have one with you. I invite you to open your Bible and even though the scripture has been read, follow along. as we make our way through this parable. As Pastor Brad has reminded us in this series, as a form of biblical literature, parables are by their nature designed to surprise and provoke in the sense that if we read them and take the surface meaning of them, if it doesn't provoke us or challenge us or cause us to question something, then we probably have not read the parable well. For there are layers of meaning and there are layers of understanding and there are things that Jesus wants us to learn that come by reflection, that come by thought and prayer. The reading of the text this morning and our own reading of this parable allows us to recognize three main characters in Luke's retelling of Jesus' parable. And you say, well, pastor, there's only a judge and a widow. But that's only the parable. But in the context of the setting, there are also the listeners. There are those who Jesus sought to teach. And in verse 1, Luke says, Jesus sought to teach his disciples about prayer and not giving up. So we have to include the disciples in our understanding of what Jesus hopes to unveil for his disciples. As we heard the scripture read, we heard Jesus describe a judge who claims not to be influenced or intimidated by God or man. 
the judge makes his boast publicly and said, I am afraid of no one. I am not afraid of God. I am not afraid of man. And so he has staked his public position that he cannot be influenced. We also have a widow who persistently wants vengeance against her adversary and keeps bothering the judge. It's interesting to me that we do not know what her issue is. We do not know who her adversary is. We do not know what she wants justice for. What we do know is that she keeps bothering the judge. Our hearing of the parable invites us to check our assumptions and our easy answers, to check our assumptions about judges, that they are uncaring and distant, to check our assumptions about widows because they are given favor in God's word as if they are all weak and they are all being taken advantage of but there's ample evidence in both the Old and New Testaments that there were strong, resourceful widows. Think of the wily Ruth. Ruth and Boaz. How do you think she achieved Boaz's attention? She was resourceful. She was wily. She set him up. In Luke's gospel in the early chapters, we read of the prophetess Anna, who was a widow, married to a husband for seven years, and lived all the rest of her life as a widow. And yet, her durability, her perseverance, she waits in the temple courtyard, waiting for the advent, the coming, of the Messiah. Think about what that perseverance means. It has been 650 years since Isaiah had uttered his prophecies about the Messiah. It had been 400 years since the last Old Testament prophet spoke the word of the Lord. There had been 400 years of silence. And yet the widow Anna waits in the temple courtyard for the Messiah. That's not a widow who's weak. That's not a widow who's being taken advantage of. That's a widow with a purpose. So we need to check our assumptions about widows at the door, even though they are given favor in God's word and they are to be cared for by the people of God as are orphans and others. The other obvious assumption that we need to check is the easy assumption that if we are persistent in prayer, we will get what we want. That's not the point of this parable. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. It's not the point of the parable. It's never suggested here. It's not even implied here. 
one summer while working in a camp, a senior high camp, during my college days, the speaker of the camp said to the staff, I thank God God has not given me everything I've asked for. Anyone else want to testify? Such an interpretation of this parable is too easy and too convenient for it diminishes God, the creator, redeemer, and turns such a God into a kind of a sugar daddy whose only role in our lives is to give us what we want. It places us on par with God's understanding of life, believing that we know what's best and we know all that we need to know in order to desire what we desire. For God has the great gift of seeing over the horizon of time. And last I checked, you and I don't possess that gift. We rarely even understand what's taking place in the present moment, much less in the future moment. Yes, I will just say this parable is about persistence in prayer but perhaps not in the ways that we have understood it or hoped it would be. And so let's begin with the judge for a moment. Uh, let's read the judge's statements from a humorous perspective. I know that'll be a challenge for some of us. But think about it from a humorous perspective and sort of create the narrative this way. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Now, how would Luke know that except that it had been reported and the judge had actually said that? And so Jesus reports it out that the judge had been talking to people. And think about it this way. If you'd been saying that in the public arena, surely his close friends knew that he had boasted in such ways. And in verse three, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Kept coming. She kept coming, she kept showing up, she would not stop. And I can imagine, can you imagine with me that when he sees her, what goes through his mind? Here we go again. I wish this woman would leave me alone. And so in this humorous narrative, think about this possibility. That the judge begins to express what has been in his mind when she shows up to some of his friends. It goes something like this. There is this woman and she keeps coming and she's bothering me. Remember, this is the man who can't be intimidated by anyone. And after listening to this for a while, one of his friends says, I thought you couldn't be intimidated. Why is the wisp woman bothering you if you can't be intimidated? I thought you had said, even though you don't fear God or care what people think, yet this woman keeps bothering me. 
I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. This is some kind of widow. But if you're his friend, what are you going to say to him? You, I know some of you. Some of you would say, I thought you were afraid of no one. Why are you afraid of this woman? And you chuckle. You have a laugh at his expense. You see, there's a bit of humor in the way the judge plays this narrative back and forth. He's not afraid, but he really is concerned, and he is afraid that she will come and attack him. And so what do you say? I will give her what she asked for so that I will avoid what she might do to me. There's a bit of humor in that in the sense that it is easy to make one's boast only to be corrected by experience of life. And that's what happens with this judge. And his friend says to him, it sounds like this woman is getting to you. And you can hear his friends chuckle. For Jesus and his disciples, the woman as a model of persistence is valuable and important. She will not be denied. She will not stop. And yet, the judge feels threatened by her persistence. But the parable doesn't stop with the theme of persistence because the woman wants more, she wants vindication, she wants justice, she wants to prevail over her adversary. And even though we're not told who the adversary is or what justice she wants, Jesus' summary may give us a clue to the meaning of the parable. John Lloyd Ogilvie asks, if a persistent scrappy widow who is a dangerous nuisance to a hostile unrighteous judge can get him to rule favorably in her case, will not the ultimate judge of the universe act on behalf of his people with justice and mercy? The theme of the parable is about persistence, but Jesus draws out the persistence and connects it to justice and mercy. They are not independent of each other. What does the parable tell us about prayer, persistence, and the aims of God? We must remember that Jesus, when he teaches his disciples this parable, is moving toward Jerusalem and the culmination and the finality of all that awaits him there. It is in that context that Jesus talks about persistence and mercy and justice. It is in that context that it's made clear to us that this parable is not about being persistent so we get what we want. Because remember, when Jesus persists through the events in Jerusalem, he does not get what he wants. Remember his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? Oh, Father, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
persistence and prayer and justice and mercy. All of us will confess and all of us will acknowledge that life is not fair or simple. It doesn't always bring what we want or when we want it. But the parable says, don't stop praying. Keep praying. Not because we will get what we want, but because in the end, God's justice and mercy will prevail. Fred Craddock tells this story in his commentary on Luke. In a large gathering of persons concerned about certain unfair and oppressive conditions in our society, an elderly black minister read this parable and gave a one-sentence interpretation. Until you have stood for years knocking at a locked door, your knuckles bleeding, you don't really know what prayer is. A few thoughts about persistence may help us. Persistence in prayer makes possible the purifying of our interests and our motives. For if we persist in the presence of God over time, while God may not be answering our prayer, God's spirit may be shaping our interests and our motives. I don't believe that we can spend extended time with God and come away the same person as when we went in. After all, the aims of God may not align with my aims or your aims. The interests of God may be different than your interest or my interest. A simple review of church history will tell us the truth of that. For centuries, many church leaders have attempted to co-opt the interests of God for their own purposes. They have twisted the word of God to suit their own desires and motives. Ample is the evidence in church history of church leaders engaging in kingmaking. Ample is the historical evidence over several millennia of national leaders engaging in defining the interests of religious leaders. Think of the priests and Pilate and the trial of Jesus. History will tell us about the interaction and relationships of kings and the Church of England. History will tell us about the emperors of Rome and leaders of the Catholic Church in various seasons and times. The recent declaration by the Archbishop of the Russian Orthodox Church in support of Putin's invasion of the Ukraine is another illustration. And we could go on and on. Why is persistent prayer necessary? It is necessary so that God's Holy Spirit can purify our motives and our interests so that they may align with the interest and the aims of God, which Jesus has identified in the end things as mercy and justice.
we can see this dynamic at work behind this parable. Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem, moving toward condemnation by religious leaders who will create a political bargain with Pilate resulting in Jesus' trial and suffering and ultimately his death. Jesus is going to the humiliation of the cross. He will experience the desertion of his disciples. He will breathe his last physical breath and die. And he will contest in the bowels of darkness for the souls of humanity, and he will be resurrected out of a guarded and sealed tomb to fulfill the aims of God. And knowing all that is yet to come, Jesus seeks to teach his disciples about the value of persistence in prayer. This parable is the testimony of Jesus about prayer. Second, I would suggest that persistence is a form of vigil. Vigil. Have you ever held vigil where you wait? Where you wait? You can hold vigil in prayer. You can hold vigil corporately. In a few weeks, we begin Advent celebration. Advent over the years is a form of vigil. The prophetess Anna was holding vigil in the courtyard of the temple waiting for the Messiah. Persistence in prayer is a form of vigil in that we wait in prayer for the aims and provision of God to be revealed for the purposes of God. Persistence is bred by an eschatological hope Eschatology is a $2 word preachers and scholars like to throw around, but it really means the thinking and teaching of things about the end, the end time. When God will return, Persistence is bred by an eschatological hope. Jesus gives us this eschatology, this hope that when God returns, there will be justice and mercy. Most every one of us in this room long for justice. In one way or another, We long for justice in the sense that we live in a world that is confusing to us and frustrating to us. We live in a world in which political theater is the order of the day. And it's difficult to trust anyone. And at times we feel like we're forced to make choices between two or three bad options and we don't know who to believe.
and we seek hope that the creator God will create the final things which will include justice and mercy. In persistence in prayer, Jesus encourages us to seek the aims of God in our persistence of prayer so that we might be aligned with the aims of God. And let the aims of God shape our thinking and shape our understanding. Because if we can embrace this idea, as Jesus says in the closing verses of this parable, God will bring justice and mercy to those he finds faithful. There is hope for us. And it's not placing hope in the places that we're tempted to place hope. It's placing hope in the actions and the work of God who will ultimately bring things to a conclusion in the way God intends it to conclude. And we wait like the prophetess Anna in the courtyard of life now for over 2,000 years. And persistence is how we wait faithfully as we hold vigil for the presence of God. Persistence in prayer is a behavior that displays faith in a God-defined future that may be different than what we have perceived. Most of us have an idea of what we'd like life to be like, don't we? Most of us have an idea of how we'd like things to occur, how we'd like the country to be run, who we'd like to run the country. But here's the question. What is it that God hopes for us? Is it possible that God hopes that we will place our trust in God? And everything else is a shallow second or third or fourth place. Persistence in prayer is an act of submission to the mercies of God for it is the gift of taking the long view. It's entirely possible that all of this will not be resolved in your lifetime. I'm a young 70. I expect to live a very long time. Now that I have this machine right here, It's entirely possible I will not live long enough to see God bring justice and mercy in my time in this place. If so, thanks be to God. If not, thanks be to God. But in the intervening time, how will I be persistent? Will I be persistent in my trust in God, in my prayers for God's activity, in my work on behalf of God's aims, 
Will I be persistent seeking that my aims and my activities are in alignment with the provision of God? And by the way, the place of prayer is the best place to discern that. Because there are lots of people who wait to tell you and me what those are. But Jesus makes it plain and Jesus makes it clear. The aims of God are justice and mercy. Persistence in prayer is to value prayer in the measure that Jesus valued prayer. Remember Jesus' words to his disciples when he found them asleep? Could you not tarry in prayer with me for one hour? We place a premium on prayer, and we should. We've seen the evidence of it this morning. Our prayer room is open, and I'm seeing Facebook posts, and some of you are telling us that you're spending time there. I hope you do. I hope you use it. Or your place in prayer in your home, or your garden, or your closet, wherever it is. This is a season in which persistence in prayer is a valuable commodity. And yet it is true that when we persist in prayer, we may feel like the widow and ask, why do we have to keep going back? I'm getting weary of going back. Oh friend, persist. Let not the events of the day keep you away. Let not the games of power being played out in the national and global scene keep you away. Oh friend, place not your trust in anything except the provision of God. We may even feel like our persistence in prayer is necessary because we feel a lack of responsiveness to our prayers. Not every time we go to pray is going to bring a warm, fuzzy feeling. Sometimes when we go to prayer, we leave more disturbed than we went in. And we should. because when we come out of the place of prayer, we come back into the realities of what we live in the context of, and it is disturbing. Amy Levine writes, Jesus told parables because they serve as keys that can unlock the mysteries we face by helping us ask the right questions. How to live in community, how to determine what ultimately matters, how to live the life that God wants us to live. They are Jesus' way of teaching and they are remembered to this day, not simply because they are in the Christian canon, but because they continue to provoke challenge and inspire. Let me ask you a question. 
What does this parable provoke in you? What does it provoke in you? Some of you say, it provokes in me that it's time for you to be done preaching. What does it provoke in you? The obvious question, what does this parable inspire in you? Don't be afraid of being persistent in prayer. Embrace it. Let it be God's gift. Let it be inspirational to us. And may God be praised because the people of God have persisted in the place of prayer so that they might embrace and know and enjoy the aims of God in a world that needs you and I to be persistent in prayer. Amen. Let's stand together. Let me invite you to receive this benediction as you persist in prayer, my friends, hear the word of the Lord from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And everyone said, Amen. You are dismissed.